Hello, Andre, Michael. Oh, uh, come on. Now we're just talking all over each other. Is oh, this amateur God's. hour? Is that what's happening? You know what? We haven't talked in so long that we don't remember how to do this. <laughs> uh, I guess this is kind of the latest chapter in our COVID chronicles. We've been really fortunate to taste through some really bomb wines from the Vine Mount Ridge 20 Mile Bench area. Uh, I think we've done the who's who of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, so I'm very happy. I think maybe we should line up some winemakers working with Gamay or Cabernet Franc for our next interviews. What do you think about that? Cabernet Franc would be really, really interesting. Uh, Anybody wants to get in touch with us about that and they figure they have some really great Cabernet Franc, uh, glad to talk to you about it. Uh, We graciously had Steve Byfield on the podcast and the response to that was great. So thank you, Steve, for letting us give you... A platform, and uh, you know, I, I will admit, you know, you and I are, are often critical of our fellow writers in terms of scoring and what's going on. But I have to say, I'm really disappointed in the wine writing, wine blogging community. Uh, just the number of people who are looking for a piece of Steve and looking, you know, kind of jumping up and down trying to support people of color with a certain amount of disingenuity. I think you call it uh, wokeness, didn't you? Fake wokeness or, uh, you know, uh, virtue signaling, I think, is another 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 popular one that's out there. So I've, I've I, never I've never heard of that one. I, I don't I don't want to call anyone out by name on the on the podcast because we sort of share this platform. But uh, I very publicly called out um, a certain prominent member of the wine writing community on my Twitter. It's still there, and it was on Instagram, and the response was positive. So thank you for everyone who reached out to me for that. But I think it's time we take an audit as a wine industry as who we're supporting as journalists and writers. And if what I'm saying pisses you off, I'm not saying this to pat myself on the back, but we need to do better. We need to do better as an industry. We need to do better as wine writers. We have to We have to think about... Um the people that uh, I think you said it, I think you said it best, the people that we decide to promote uh, and what their background or what has been in their background. I think that's what we're getting at. Listen, dealing with racism and dealing with systemic racism in Canada is not a trend. And if you are trying to cash in on this right now, I'm going to find you and I'm going to call you out. That's it. (laughs) I will find you and I will kill you. Andre is actually <laughs> Liam Neeson from Taken. No, but you understand. You understand. You understand what I'm saying. Like this, this isn't this isn't a fashion trend. This isn't this isn't a situation that we can find a way to slap slap like slap a sticker on and you know call it the flavor of the week. There is a problem with systemic racism in Canada that goes well beyond the wine industry. And people are are, are tripping over themselves to find a way to raise their profile from it. We didn't choose to have steve on our on our podcast he asked us as a friend of yours and a friend of mine and we were happy to give him the platform i have noticed he is starting to show up on all kinds of things though he was in um uh he was in distillery magazine he was on uh, global tv um i know certain wine writers are trying to get a hold of him to do uh pieces um and again you know who you are out there Trying to get, because you want to, I hate to say this, but cash in on what is going on. Yeah, I believe one of the people trying to get in touch with Steve tried to once pair wine with a movie about slavery. 
Yes, that's uh, that's fantastic. Yes, I uh, I remember that. I never did the pairing. I have to be honest. I did see the movie, but never tried the pairing. Um, but anyways, I know that's not what we wanted to talk about. I had I had something else that was kind of a, a bee in my in my bonnet this week. Um, write it write it down for a second because I want to find out what you're drinking. I, I, oh, yeah. I you and I haven't shared a glass in a long time, and I said we sh- we've got to. Uh, at least have a few uh, drinks, or at least a drink. <laughs> so we don't um, hold back this on this podcast. podcast. So, it's too late. So let's find out what you're having in the glass. Um, Andrew Rettelmeyer was kind enough to drop off a bottle of the Southbrook Whimsy 2019 Organic Zweigelt. Oh, that's an odd one. And let's see here. This... The, they're calling it a natural wine. So this natural wine was fermented, wild, with 50% whole clusters, gently pressed, and barrel-aged in neutral oak barrels for six months. 45 ppm of sulfur was added to this unsulfured wine, so I'm sure there are some natural wine fans who are not going to be thrilled at the fact that sulfur was added to this, and I think it is a slight problem of calling natural wine natural wine if it's not clearly defined, but that criticism aside, it's delicious uh ten and a half percent um so neutral oak there is still like a nice slight hint of vanilla on the mid palate a lot of blue fruit acid is very sharp on this this is did you say ten and a half percent yeah ten and a half percent alcohol on the bottle wow it's from from 2019 right yeah so but not sweet right Mm -mm. there's no sweetness to it it's very dry That's very odd. And even, Last Zweigelt that I remember was uh, made by Derek Barnett at, uh, when he was with Laley. That's the last time I saw a bottle of Canadian Zweigelt. In fact, I held a bottle and tried it with him a number of years ago, and um, it did not hold up well. Interesting. Uh, it was okay, but it was not in any way, shape, or form something I I should not have held it. But you know me, I hold all kinds of stupid stuff. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll be honest. The thing that's really making this wine sing is um, the freshness. The tannin is still uh, present, but not overpowering. Um, I, I think this is definitely something I would enjoy young. I'm drinking out of a Bordeaux glass. Before we hit record, we talked about whether I should have this in a Bordeaux or a Burgundy glass. I'll probably switch to Burgundy glass after uh, after we're done this podcast here. It'll be interesting to find out how that how that works out because it is a lighter a lighter wine. Uh, Andre, I, I kind of tried to guess uh, what you would be drinking tonight, okay. Okay. and uh, I thought I would try to match it. Okay. Uh, Zweigelt was not even on my menu. <laughs> so what kind so, of Chardonnay did you open for me? Uh, no, I actually went with a Pinot. Oh, okay, okay. I, I guess. I went. I, I I've, went definitely been on, I've definitely been on a Pinot kick. Yeah, so I thought maybe I would... Uh, you know, I, I said we have to drink something, so I said, "Okay, you you go, I go. Let's see if we mesh." And you went Zweigelt, and I went <laughs> Pinot from Oregon, Willamette Valley, uh, 2014, Brella. Ah, uh, man, that's still. I think if there's an award for the best value wine in the past 12 months, that is still top of the list. It was like, uh, what was this it? This was 20 bucks. 20 I'm not bucks. Mistaken. Yeah, twenty bucks, Oregon Pinot that tastes like Oregon Pinot. Uh, I know you were you were on a a Facebook group earlier this week. Someone looking for a full bodied uh, Pinot for under twenty five dollars. But I mean, taking the full bodied out of it, it's tough to find good Pinot under twenty five dollars from any region. And 
you know, in a in in Ontario. Who wants lucky- a full bodied Pinot? That one. Oh, you know what's a good Pinot for? Uh, I, I, sh- I should put that on there. You know what's a full bodied Pinot for uh, around? Uh, well, I think he was looking under thirty dollars. Uh, Miomi. Miomi. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's a, a full body Pinot. But Andre, I want you to just just hold on. Just just listen for a second. Are you okay. ready? Yeah. Listening. Okay. Are you peeing oh, in a cup? Yeah. Is that is that your drug That's sample there? You like you're peeing in a cup now or? Yep, peeing in a cup. I'm taking. Te- I am now peeing Pinot. Pee no more. Um, I want to give just a quick shout out to a bottle of Pinot that I bought from the Classics catalog recently, and I think we could probably do a whole other podcast on this, and it might be worth getting Nick Pierce on it. But I bought a Maison Roche de Belen uh, Collection Belenem Gevry Chambertin Village from the year 2000 for $62. You also uh, uh, picked up one of our favorite uh, Gamay producers. I did. I figured I needed uh, a bit of a um, a bit of a distraction during COVID. I know we've, I've been drinking a lot of like high end wines, as we talked about on the podcast, but I wanted something affordable. Um, the Dominique Piron Beaujolais Village from Lifford. I, I ordered a case from them. It was about twenty three bucks a bottle. When all was you did, said, and you done. did you did promise me that you'd you'd drop off a bottle. So I'm looking I'm looking forward to trying this because you know. We're both big Gamay fans. Oh, and the, the, both... day, the, the day the case arrived at my house, it went straight from case to fridge, fridge to glass, glass to stomach. And I was not disappointed. Um, I, I don't did you think... just pump it into your stomach or did it actually go through your mouth? It went through my mouth. It went through my mouth. Oh, um, but uh, yeah, I'm always looking. I, I know that we like, especially with the Somme community and especially with uh, a lot of the wine bars in the city, there are a lot of producers, Gamay producers that have a bit of a cult following. But I still feel like Dominique Perron is kind of like my... My personal little secret, um, a lot of it, I don't think any of it has ever come through the LCBO, but I've ordered from the um, uh, from Lifford a couple of times now. You and I, when we go to Quebec and do our cannonball run to uh, Saguenay, we always I was stock just up say, on whatever's the, available. I really missed going to Saguenay this year. I know, because so we, we always stock up. By. And there's there's a few listings at the SAQ right now of Dominique Piron. So. God damn it! Mm. That does not count as a swear. Brian. Sorry, but anyways, what I was saying about the, the Pinot that I bought, it's a year 2000 Pinot Noir for 62 bucks from uh, Gevry Chambertin. 2000, you said? The year 2000. Oh. It, it was worth the money to get a chance to taste a wine that was that old. But when I talked, Nick Pierce actually explained to me how it happens that a 20-year-old wine ends up on your table now. But I think I think it might be worth actually reaching out to him see if we can get him on the podcast to explain it. Because the story he told me was was kind of crazy. Like it was just right. crazy that that let, let's just put it this way in Burgundy there are wineries that have cases of wine in metal Indiana Jones style crates that they're just waiting for the right time to sell them. Uh, and how's right, that well, for mental that picture? Down your list. There's a, a a little list we're getting together of uh, people we want to talk to. So <laughs> that is that is obviously Nicholas Pierce. If you're listening, uh, we want to talk to you about old Pinot. Well, I guess speaking of Nicholas Pierce, it's actually the reason why we wanted to podcast. Yeah, I think you uh, you said you wanted to get something off your chest, and I was like, <laughs> oh, you know what, uh, Andre? I, I yeah, I've got a few bees recently, in my bonnet. You've got a smaller chest lately, so oh, yeah, I've got a few man, bees in my bonnet. Your man boobs lately. are a little bit less than they used to be. Oh yeah, I'm down. Uh, actually, here's the honest to god truth: since January 10th, I'm now down 55 pounds. Look at you. 
Like, I've literally you're, lost two Henrys and a Stella. So two of my dogs and one of my cats were the weight. You're half the man you used to be. Actually, only 20% less. I still, oh. got, a, still got a little ways to go. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I was I was talking to I was talking to a friend of mine, and I, I'm not going to name them um, because they also have strong opinions. I'm not even going to throw out the the gender of who they are. But we were talking about celebrity wines and celebrity partnerships, and this conversation came to be because I recently got sent to me a bottle of Invivo X by Sarah Jessica Parker. It's a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. I will, I will start by saying this before you go any further. Go ahead. Invivo makes some really good uh, Chardonnay. When oh, they, really? When they come through the uh, the LCBO, I always snap it up. I always think it's really good. Okay, I'll keep my eyes open go, for the Chardonnay because I'll be honest. I wasn't familiar with Invivo prior to this. I'm, I'm more than happy to jump on board uh, a celebrity collaboration when it comes through the LCBO because um, – as I've said on the podcast before, I spend a lot of time thinking about labels, branding, marketing, and what it takes to sell wine. Because you can have the, the best wine in the world. If you have terrible labels, it, it does make the sell that much harder. And I'll, and I'll be honest, the label for In Vivo X by Sarah Jessica Parker is not super duper. Like, it's a it's an X with what looks like paint, like not even lipstick or yep. anything like that. Like, I mean, I just feel like there's so much that you could do with the Sarah Jessica Parker brand and i don't know but her, I, but her name does appear well relatively prominently on on the label i yes. will say that you can make it out it's not like it's hidden anywhere yes it is definitely on the label if you're looking at it like the like the um the the uh alexander brown the Z alexander brown brand which is the zach brown like the zach brown of the zach brown band brand for Cabernet Sauvignon, of which the first vintage was fantastic, but later vintages, the residual sugars gotten a little bit higher. His name is not prominently featured on on the bottle. And same thing with... No, I think uh, it's called what is Cage it? or something, isn't it? Uh, What's it called, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it's called un- can, Uncaged for that. Uncaged, yeah, I think it's what it's called. But yeah, he's not he's not um, prominent on it in any way. And, and the, Hampton, no. the, Hampton, the Hampton water? Wait, is, is it Hampton? prominent on that bottle. So is it Hampton no water doubt. that's Bon Jovi's wine? Hampton Water is the Bon Jovi one. That is correct. Okay, but, but I mean, That's the point is, by, like, there's... Uh, Gerard Bertrand. There, there's a lot of um, celebrity partnerships where it's not prominently featured, but Sarah Jessica Parker's name is featured on this bottle. And, Michael, are you a big are you a big Sex in the City fan? Um, I am not. I have never seen an episode, uh, although I did get a phone call from my mother uh, who um, said to me, uh, should I buy it? And I'm like, well, I have to be honest with you, mother... We're not really, because of the COVID thing, we're not getting into the LCBO to taste anything. So uh, I can't give you a recommendation here or there, but I can uh, I can request a bottle. And Andre has, has asked me to uh, to uh, request a bottle, and I have tried it, So, but I will let you uh, continue to talk about it. But my mother was like, I'm going to buy it anyway. And here's the funny part. My mother doesn't drink white wine. I don't huh. know what she thinks it is. That's fantastic. Actually, you know what? That, that's sort of exactly like the reason why I wanted to talk to, to, talk to you about it. Um, I got the bottle sent to me, and frankly, I didn't care about the, the celebrity partnership. I don't know how involved in the winemaking Sarah Jessica Parker, Sarah Jessica Parker was. Um, it's, it says that she, uh, from what I was reading about it, it does say that she is part of the uh, blending Okay. Uh, and tasting, and that the winemaker or somebody who's high up in the winery said she had an amazing palate. <laughs> Fantastic. 
I mean, I'm taking, I'm taking, I'm taking those notes with with a, with a grain of salt. You need to, you need to sell the wine, but it's good that it's like if she was involved in yes. the winemaking process, even more fantastic. Um, because I, I as a wine reviewer, I'm fairly critical of the New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc style. I find a lot of it to be a, sort of snake oil sales, where it's just like, how underripe can I make this wine while still peddling it onto the consumers? And I understand that consumers like it, and I got to be objective about reviewing it. I loved this wine. Um, twenty two ninety five made it a little bit pricey as far as New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc is concerned, but in terms of the brand partnership, I love this wine first off because it a tasted like well made Sauvignon Blanc, and b it will convince entry level wine drinkers to drink better wine. It will open up a whole new world of what premium wine looks like, and this is without a doubt premium wine. Well, you did ask me to. Um... Uh, to look into it, and I did reach out to uh, Nicholas. So thank you very much, uh, Nicholas, for sending the bottle to me. Um, and I and I tasted it, and I was I was kind of blown away as well. And um, then I remember reaching out to you earlier uh, or late last week, and I said, "What what did you score the wine?" Because it was a very hot day that I tried it. And, and was <laughs> I swayed by that? You know, hot day, you know, bone chilling white Sauvignon Blanc. And it turns out that we have the same score. So uh, I think I think we I think I waffled on the extra extra half star, and I'm still not 100 percent sure because the thing is, um, the sort of people who are going to buy the Sarah Jessica Parker wine are not necessarily people who are a listening to this podcast or b going to give a crap what Andre Pru or Michael Pincus score it. But uh, for the record, I was on a three and a half plus, pushing on to four. I'm kind of hesitant to score it four stars just because twenty two ninety five is a little high for really good New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, but at the same time, it really is that good. Like it really is a good. I, I was a I was a solid three and a half plus, and that's why I said to you, um, is is it a is it just me? Is it the hot weather? Was it tasting too good? And you were like, well, I'm almost bordering on a four, and I'm like, hmm. Uh, but my my three and a half plus was was solid. I was like, that is a delicious bottle of wine. So, congratulations to Invivo putting out another great bottle. And to Sarah Jessica Ontario Parker market. and Sarah Jessica Parker for in in, in like introducing her, her fans, her hordes of fans to good premium wine. I mean, there's so many brand partnerships that are starting to come out where you know what? I haven't even tasted the wine, but I'm I'm sure it's trash. Like Snoop Dogg's coming out with a twelve dollar red wine from California. Um, you know what? If it isn't, I'll be the first person to eat my words. If the Snoop Dogg wine comes to the LCBO, cool. I'll be happy to taste it. But like, you know, when I see celebrities attaching their names to entry level bulk wines, you know, I, I I question whether or not that's something that's going to help their brand or help the brand of a winery that's that's peddling the wares, right? Now, now, did you mention what your friend said? <laughs> um, you know. I got into a discussion with a, a few of my friends, one of which is a product consultant in the LCBO, and the other is a sommelier at a, a high-end restaurant in Toronto. Uh, they were critical of the label. They said that the label looks extremely similar to the Italian uh, cult producer Caberlo, which to a certain extent is, is true. It is difficult to be completely unique in the in the world of wine and yeah, maybe they could have done a little bit more research in their in their branding. I think with the Sarah Jessica Parker brand, you could do a little bit more with the branding. I'll I'll admit that. And then uh, another person, uh, another one of the person, the sommelier was just was just going on and on about uh, the wine and the brand partnership and just how crappy it is to have celebrities slapping their names on things. And 
I asked her the question. I'm like, well, are you the target market for this? And they responded to me. I think I've already said she. Okay, it was a she. And she responded to me that I'm a sommelier. All wines should be the target market for me. And that is the biggest line of bullshit I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll admit I was uh, I was a little bit taken taken aback at that aback at that comment because you know even even with my own brand with the ADX Wine Company I've, I've got when pigs fly and and here's the deal is I have gone to a few of the white tablecloth fine dining restaurants in Toronto and I've been told by more than one person that my branding is too whimsical and I'll admit the first time it happened it was a little bit of a, a, a kick to the kick to the junk. Uh, but I was new. I was new to the wine world. It was just like, yeah, I've made really good rosé here. I've made good rosé people want to crush on the summer. Like, you know, if you've if you've got a white tablecloth restaurant, why wouldn't you want something cheeky there? And it's just like, no, it's not just about how my brand is represented. It's about how the brand of a restaurant is represented. It's how your personal brand is is represented. So when I was told that my brand was too whimsical a second and a third time, it's just like I started to completely get it. You know, you can try to be yellowtail and try to appeal to everyone, but... The wider the net you cast, you know, you have to make compromises along the way to reach that fringe. I would rather be making really good wine targeted to wine lovers than trying to appeal to everyone. Well, there's a really good. I think that I I just got to like. like, There's a really good quote from Wayne's World that I like to like to use where they're talking about music, and it's just like Zeppelin didn't write tunes that everyone loved. They left that to the Bee Gees. Well, in my in my most recent uh, uh, op- magnum opus, which is my rosé report. Mm. Um, hang on, hang on. Really well done with that. Um, oh, thank you. Make sure people check out Michael's rosé report. It is intense. There is a lot of content in there. And thank you for your work on that because it's a hot summer. It is rosé season with a capital R. The uh, I don't know if you read the uh, um, I don't know if you read the introduction, uh, but uh, there was a nod to you in there, kind of, where I decided to because you always when we do uh, podcasts with winemakers throw out uh, how this wine reminds you of a song, and <laughs> in the uh, introduction I said when it comes to rosé you're not looking for stairway to heaven by led zeppelin yeah. you're looking for good as hell by lizzo like, that's, <laughs> that's what you're looking for and and i There's... i really believe that uh and it it doesn't just apply to rosé it applies to uh, a lot of wines and if sommeliers believe that that all wine has to be targeted to them so that they can sell it then they're really putting themselves on a pedestal that I don't think they belong on. Yeah. I I, I I have been saying for a little while that I think there is a little bit of an echo chamber starting to develop with the Somme community in Toronto. And, you know, I take a look, uh, I take a look at, at my own writing. I'm excited to find new places that are doing that. And a lot of the wines that you and I talk about and that we're really excited about are on a lot of the wine lists in the city. But, it seems to be like there's a lot of the greatest hits that end up on the same wine lists over and over again, where there is a lot more out there in, in Niagara that that we could we could be seeing on lists at good restaurants in the city. I, I wish we would see more places like Flat Rock and Featherstone, which I, I think the fact that they're highly present at the LCBO might be um, 
you know, a barrier to being on an exclusive wine list. But the, the top tier wines from both of those wineries are outstanding. If I if I were a white tablecloth restaurant, I know that I, I pump up joy a lot, but I would pour the, the Blanc de Blanc or the Rosé in a heartbeat at my high-end restaurant from Featherstone because that wine needs love with a capital L. Makes well, me feel good I, as I, hell. I know why, why they don't because, look, when I go into a restaurant and I, I will be honest, I very rarely get wine because I can look at a wine list and I go, yep, I know how much that bottle is. I know how much that bottle is. And holy God, I do not want to pay that much for that bottle. I will look for something that is not on the LCBO list that I've never tried before. But I, I think you and I, I know you and I were having a discussion uh, about wine trends. And I know I, I had the, the discussion with uh, Ed Medronic. Uh, I know both of us had a uh, an Instagram live uh, with him. And I will tell you that uh, the, the two uh, wine styles that drive me crazy these days are Pet Net and uh, Orange Wine. And I think... Uh, you mean, you to, mean God, to clarify, you mean skin contact, right? Uh, orange wine, skin contact, yes. I hope those wines go the way of the dodo, and they can't go fast enough for me. And then you went, but I believe canned wine will continue. And I'll I'll tell you, I, I believe so, because when I've... We've tasted a few canned wine. We tried the Stelmar, which was, was really good. Both of us have tried that. Yep. Um, I've tried a number of canned wines. And anytime I mention it to somebody, they go, oh, I, I, we could do that on a picnic. We could bring it in a boat. Um, and people are loving the idea of bringing cans out. And for me, like, and, and being on the other end of it, being on the, on the business side of it is – um, even in the difference in the bottles that I use. So I, I use lightweight glass to package my rosé. Obviously, I didn't use super, super lightweight glass because I used that route with my Gamay, my Gamay, uh, sorry, my Gamay Nouveau, and the bottles were too fragile. So finding a decent lightweight bottle is also a challenge as a winery, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, I use lightweight bottles for the, the When Pigs Fly rosé. And, and shipping a case of wine... Like it makes a difference. I have some pretty heavy burgundy bottles for my Chardonnay, and I'm, I'm I'm proud to have them. Frankly, when you make a premium wine, you need to have the package feel premium, and that stuff you have to think about. So the challenge is going to be getting the consumer to shift their view into whether or not you can have a premium product in a in a can. Um, uh, I had someone ask me, so if if Domendola Romani Conte started making wines in can, would you buy it? And it's just like. You know, if, if I knew with absolute certainty that wine and can would age like it would in a bottle, that wouldn't bother me at all. I think it's too soon to see whether we're ever going to get the ultra, ultra premium in the cans. But seeing good wine, high-end wine, mass-produced wine of a high quality in a can, I think is a no-brainer. It's light. It's recyc- like recyclable. I know glass is recyclable too, but it's just... It's easy. It makes sense. And it makes financial sense for wineries. If it costs less to package your wine, if it costs less to put something in the vessel, it lets them reinvest the money that they're, they're taking from you into making the wine better. So why would you do that? And let's be honest. If you're, if you're making something that's, that's just plain crushable, then you know what? Put it in a can. I am fine with Sauvignon Blanc in a can, rosé in a can. Uh, Un-oak Chardonnay can go into a can. Anything that you want to just drink okay, now the, the Selmar people is, don't want to age. The and by the way, for that Romane Conte thing... Uh, here's what I would tell you to answer them. If it fixes their cork problem, you're all for it. Because having inventoried a ton of wine cellars, I can tell you the leakiest corks are from Domaine Romane Conti. 
They have really? his quirks, and I cannot understand why. That is interesting. I have had, I have had more leaky bottles of Domaine Romani Conti being leaked as I pick up the, the neck, and I'm like, oh my god, another leaky bottle, than any other wine brand I have ever uh, dealt with. That, I don't even know what to do with that. And I'll, and I'll be honest, as much as I've been spending money on premium wines these days, uh, DRC is not on my list right now. Um no. But I know you mentioned and a lot. Of, you mentioned a lot of whites and sparklings. Uh, the Stellenmar uh, Premium Red is a Zodai. Uh, sorry, a Lodi Zinfandel. Um, I think I'm going to take a couple of cans and put them in my closet with the ice wine. Uh, so it's sort of out of sight, out of mind, and maybe I'll give it a, a year, or I'll you know maybe I'll pick up. Tell you what, maybe I'll pick up. I dare I dare you to give it five. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Like what you told me to do because it's it's five bucks a can. I'll buy five of them, so that's twenty five bucks. And I'll open one a year for the next five years, and then we can talk about it. Take no, take notes every every year, uh, and see it, see if it changes. I I be I would think it should. Uh, but that's their Chardonnay was actually really good too. Uh, uh, the, my the rose, the rose and tetra, the rose and tetra is also also really good. Um, no, but I mean it's um, yeah, taste, tasting one every year, and I I've completely lost my train of thought. I'm sorry, Michael. <laughs> I had, I had, I had the good, I had the good point there. No, you know what? It's too I much Vigel. It is important. It is important for wineries to be innovating and, and finding new ways to package and, and look for things. I mean, right now thing, the dime corks are really popular and I'm a fan of the fact I, I don't think, you know what? I can say with absolute certainty, I've never opened a bottle of dime sealed wine that had cork issues. Um, I know wine and I keg. Not, wine I and not keg, yet, but uh, you know what? You got to give it some time. I think. But, yeah, I agree uh, with you. I, I, I think Diam is is doing a good job. Uh, wine and um, wine and keg and was really. Wine I, have, and keg. I have never been totally disappointed with anything under screw cap. I have started off as disappointment, but within some time, something has come uh, of it. Like if it sits open for an hour, it 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 opens up wonderfully. Uh, I am really seeing the benefit of screw cap wines because i have some very old screw cap wines in my cellar i'm very old i'm talking 15 18 years and it's amazing to open those up and uh and and go you know what Uh, let me give it another half hour and within half an hour to an hour it's a beautiful wine well even um even sparkling wine under crown cap i've got my back vintages of uh joy i'm actually mildly pissed at you about it because you looked at my vertical and, and you were just like oh you got to open that 09 it's it's way past its prime at this point and when i opened it for on his birthday in april i mean that wine that's 11 years under under crown cap and it was still young and vibrant and the bubbles were still very present so i'm gonna wait five years before i open my 2010 and 2011 vintage but aren't why aren't you glad i told you to drink it so that it is vibrant and lively no, I want it to get a little bit more biscuity and, and bread uh, and, and, and a little bit more nutty. You made your wife very happy. You are not supposed to diss the wine you poured for your wife's birthday. <laughs> You're just trying to soften the blow of the fact that I opened up my last bottle of 2009 Joy because that was a hell of a wine. Great acidity year. Anything you've got, 12 will be a different kind of a different beast, and 15 will be a different beast altogether because they're hotter vintages. Uh, I have faith in Dave and Louise managing their vineyards properly to make sure that they held on to that acid before they made those wines. I'd like to, I'm interested when you try the 10. How about that? Okay, that'll be in five years. (laughs) All right, I think, I think that one will be a little bit long in the tooth. 
I'm saying that. I'm stamping it right here on the podcast. So, I know we've been talking about Zeppelin. We've talked about Zeppelin twice. I'd like to think that I think it might be time to wrap this up because uh, we're doing. Even Lizzo like a... made made the podcast this time, which is very odd. Oh, I. Okay, you know what? I guess just to circle back to that, the thing about Stairway to Heaven and, wait, Go- wait. and G- Good as Hell, they're wait, both. I've got to wait, Alexa. Okay. Play Lizzo, Good as Hell. All right, that was enough. Alexa, stop. What, you didn't even get me to the hook? I didn't know if you wanted the hook. The way you were talking, you were not very happy about it. No, I just want to make sure people could hear it. That song is is a banger. Um, but yeah, the thing about Stairway to Heaven versus Lizzo, Good as Hell, both objectively good songs. Both. What are you talking about? Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven makes like the top uh, 100 of all time. Rock like every songs. time it's every every time a, a a list is done, will Lizzo's? I don't know, but it definitely you know will. What? It definitely there will. Michael, that, uh, there are many more days that I want to hear Lizzo than I want to hear Stairway to Heaven, and I just blasphemed a whole bunch of Zeppelin fans. And Michael, Michael, but I mean it's the same thing too. Target audience is a Lizzo fan going to be a Zeppelin fan? I think I'm in the tiny Venn diagram of someone who would put Lizzo and Zeppelin on the same playlist. <laughs> I- that's uh, that is weird. Speaking, I would like too, I said, but I'm an I, I'm I'm an ex DJ, and I yeah. would, I I I mix Zinfandel with fish. So oh man, when uh, when, when you've I, worked I'll in anything. when you've worked in music for a long time, it really screws with your taste in music. Like I worked well, at Virgin I was, Radio, I was a, a wedding I, DJ at one point. You'd be surprised what people ask me for. I I worked <laughs> at Virgin Radio before I worked at News Talk 1010, and that was like. The beginning of Katy Perry's career, the beginning of Lady Gaga's career. That was like the Britney Spears comeback album. Man, my playlist for that one. My it was hey, it was after her hair got long after that. But like my playlist got screwed after that. Where it's just like, you know what it's like, Michael, when you listen to like a really good pop song that's not the stuff you'd usually listen to. It's just like, holy crap, this is, you know, it's. I went to radio college, a, a Fanshawe College, uh, and uh, we had six uh, CFRL six X FM, and it was a dance station. We were the only da- the reason we got that license is because there was no other dance station in London, so they could play dance music. And it was surprisingly how much dance music I started to like. And at that at that time, I was just I do not like this stuff, and I had to play it. And after a while, when you're in the we were doing the midnight to six a.m. shift. You start liking that stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. No, that's 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 totally it. Um, speaking of Zeppelin, we're definitely rambling on right now. We're rambling men. That's true. We got to ramble on. Do, 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 do. Anyways, um, I'm Andre Pruer from AndreWineReview.ca. I'm Michael Pinkus of MichaelPinkusWineReview.com. Thanks wait, for listening. Wait, wait, hey, wait. I, I hope uh, we've, we, we've kept you company for some of this COVID. Uh, in this crazy pandemic, uh, hopefully we'll be on the other side of it next year. Let's just take it away, Michael. Oh yeah. Check out Patreon. Take it away, Michael. Good night.